You're listening to a podcast from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Good morning. Welcome to the second panel of the day on political Islam in the North Caucasus. I'm Corey Welt of the George Washington University. And uh, this afternoon, or today, we'll have three uh, leading experts on Islam in the North Caucasus to continue what has already begun as a very rich discussion from the first panel. And what we've asked our speakers to focus on are an array of distinctions, distinctions uh, between Islamic practice and Islamic politicization, distinctions uh, among regions in the North Caucasus, distinctions between different ideologies, both religious ideologies and nationalist ones, and distinctions between society and the state, and hopefully also uh, distinctions between past, present, and future trends in the North Caucasus. I'm, I've, as you can tell, lost my voice uh, over the weekend, so I'll be a quiet but firm moderator. We'll ask our speakers uh, to speak for about 15 minutes and then have questions. Uh, We have Geraldine Fagan, who is a CREPA fellow at the U.S. Commission for International Religious Freedom this year. She's a journalist who's reported on religious freedom issues uh, throughout the former, uh, throughout the post-Soviet space, uh, particularly Russia, for over a decade, and is currently with the Forum 18 News Service. Uh, followed by Sufyan Jamukhov uh, from Kabardino-Balkaria, as uh, Tom mentioned in the first panel, who's currently a Hayward Isham visiting scholar at the Institute for European, Russian, and Eurasian uh, Studies at George Washington University, currently working on a project entitled Diaspora's Genocide and International Law, Russia and the Circassian Community in the Context of the Global World. And finally, Sergei Markadonov, uh, currently visiting fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, uh, in, in that the center's Russian Eurasia program, uh, a very prolific and, and widely known expert on the Caucasus, as well as the Black Sea region, regional security, nationalism, interethnic conflicts, and de facto states in the post-Soviet uh, region. Originally so, from Rostov-on-Don. And originally from Rostov-on-Don, and distinguished career in Moscow after that. Uh, so we'll go in the order of the panel, and we'll start with uh, uh, Geraldine, moving on to Sufyan, and then finally Sergei. Okay, thank you, Corey. Um, Hello. Uh, So, as Corey said, my approach to the whole subject of political Islam is really as a journalist uh, reporting on the state of religious freedom across Russia, so across Russia as a whole, not just the North Caucasus. Um, And there I'm seeking to gauge what leads Muslims abandon a principle, um, the principle of religious freedom, and to turn to violence. Um, And what I'll do now is just summarize what I think are the key factors in this negative transition um, with reference to explanations offered by Muslims themselves, state officials, and also local scholars um, from across the North Caucasus. Uh, And I hope it should now be obvious that what began in the early 1990s as a secular nationalist movement fighting for the Republic of Chechnya's succession from Russia, had by 2000 morphed into a broader Islamist insurgency, emulating international jihadism. The first key factor to understanding that conflict's mutation is the shifting significance of Islam for the successive generations that fought in it. So in the first Chechen war from 1994 to 6, Combatants on the Chechen side were typically middle-aged and of a Soviet secular background. They were already hardened fighters before serious engagement with Islam. Chechen warlord Doku Umarov has admitted that he, quote, did not really know how to pray before the conflict with Russia. 
As late as 2005, a year before he, he was killed, Shamil Basayev confessed, for me, it's first and foremost a struggle for freedom. Sharia comes second. The second wave of combatants joining the conflict from the late 1990s onwards was never allied with the Chechen nationalist cause. Being somewhat younger, they had typically taken advantage of opportunities to study theology in the Middle East following the collapse of the Soviet atheist regime. Islamist ideology, not war or national sovereignty, thus became their primary motivation. Prominent insurgent Saeed Buryatsky, who's so-called because he comes from the traditionally Buddhist republic in Siberia called Buryatia, wrote to a friend, You know, I don't like fighting, but I must adapt my desires to the demands of Sharia. Anzor Astamirov, an ethnic kabard who was supreme judge of the Caucasus Emirates Sharia court, dismissed all forms of nationalism, and indeed democracy, as paganism. These men were fluent in Arabic, having studied in Egypt, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. This generational shift points to what I think is the underlying cause of the Chechen conflict's mutation into a broader Islamist insurgency, the impact of Soviet anti-religious policy upon Islam in the North Caucasus, and that policy's rapid demise. Before 1917, Dagestan had 2,000 mosques. By the 1980s, only a few dozen. Even fewer mosques were permitted in Chechnya Ingushetia, Kabardino-Balkaria, and Karachay-Cherkessia, and none at all in Adygea. Moreover, Islam had taken root in much of the North Caucasus only towards the late 18th century, and had still to supplant competing codes of highland etiquette prior to Soviet rule. The subsequent Soviet repression of educated imams and isolation from the wider Islamic world meant that, by the time of perestroika, much Islamic practice in the region had departed significantly from internationally accepted norms. There were even cases when village elders recited from Arabic academic journals not understanding their content in place of prayers. Alcohol consumption by those self-identifying as Muslims remains common. On returning from study in the Middle East, those who later formed the second virulently Islamist generation of insurgents attempted, attempted to challenge entrenched local customs such as drinking alcohol, elaborate weddings and funeral wakes, as well as the Soviet-era Muslim leaders who normally tolerated such practices. This sparked conflict. Seeking to protect their authority, Muslim elders responded by branding critical younger Muslims foreign-influenced extremists or Wahhabis since they did not follow supposedly traditional forms of Islam. Already in league with local governments, the established Muslim boards protected themselves against opposition from younger Muslims by securing narrow legal monopolies. Across the North Caucasus, it is impossible for Muslim communities to exist legally outside their structures, which also control appointments of imams. In Dagestan, the Muslim board is unrepresentative even of local Sufism, being supported by only a minority of the, of the Republic's Sufi sheikhs. It ensures an, an unofficial ban on certain literature, including Islamic authors freely available elsewhere in Russia, and Russian language translations of the Quran. While many of the younger generation of North Caucasus Muslims return from Islamic education abroad with Salafi leanings, 
They long tried to popularize these views peacefully. For the best part of a decade in Kabardino-Balkaria, associates Anzor Astemirov and Musa Mokozhev built up a Jamaat network of Muslim communities to rival the established Muslim board. Jamaat representatives preached Islam throughout the Republic, operated an unofficial institute of Islamic studies, and even attended academic conferences in Moscow. The wider political situation in the North Caucasus meant that a collision of such initiatives with the Sovietized political and religious establishment was inevitable, however. A former supporter of Astemirov and Mukhojev Jamaat explained to me, if the state produces alcohol, if officials practice bribery, fornication, everything forbidden by Allah, and people who live according to Islam say you can't do that, they see danger. There was an, an advanced tendency not to permit Islam because how they live is the complete opposite of Islam. Poverty is often cited as another factor pushing young Muslims to join the North Caucasus insurgency. Yet there are numerous reports of college-educated professionals taking up arms, even sons and nephews of senior figures in the political and security establishments. The broader motivation for violent action is sooner indignation at the acute disparity between the lifestyle of ordinary citizens and the wealth flaunted by closed political elites across the region. Their opulence relies upon endemic corruption. Local residents complain that key posts occupied by non-professionals with good family or other connections, that they have to pay bribes not only to, to traffic police, not only in order to avoid prosecution for fabricated violations, but that they also have to utilize every stage of but also to utilize every stage of public education and healthcare. At the same time, public infrastructure, schools, roads, and hospitals is in tatters. With no alternative paths to self-realization, imposition of an Islamic social order appears an obvious solution to some. Chechen separatist president Aslan Maskhadov noted the popularity of this view as early as 1997. A sim he said, a simple paradigm of Islamic values accessible to ordinary Muslims has formed in the consciousness of a portion of the North Caucasus population. A certain matrix containing notions of a just, prosperous society in which they can attain personal well-being and general social stability. When such aspirations began to threaten local elites, their response was to crack down upon all forms of Islamic dissent. The example of Kabardino-Balkaria is particularly stark local law enforcement agencies began to draw up lists of alleged extremists or Wahhabis. Identifi identification as such typically relied upon characteristics determined by the Sovietized local Muslim establishment, such as wearing an untrimmed beard, attending mosque particularly frequently, and being critical of so-called traditional Islam. Treatment of such people was brutal. Between 1998 and 2005, Kabardino-Balkaria's counter-extremism police broke up prayer in mosques, beat up worshippers, forced them to drink vodka, and shaved crosses in their heads. Young Muslims routinely reported torture in police detention, including being sodomized with truncheons and subjected to electric shocks. In 2005, even a local representative of Putin's United Russia Party was detained. He recalled... Unlike the others, I wasn't beaten. I was, taken, I was taken around offices and cellars and shown what they do to other detainees. People are tortured like in the Gestapo. No lawyers, no interrogations. They just beat them to the point of death 
until they confess and point to others. For some years, the reaction of those targeted was to seek legal redress by complaining to the Interior Ministry and Public Prosecutor at all levels, but this proved futile. In 2004, one young Muslim, Rasul Tsakoyev, died from injuries he attributed to two days' detention by special police. Hundreds responded by staging a protest in Nalchuk, the capital of Kabardino-Balkaria. Musa Mukhojev met with the Republic's leadership to demand that repression cease, but was reportedly told that his Jamaat must stop meddling in politics and join the official Muslim board. Most observers agree that the brutality of the state authorities coupled with popular disillusionment in the judicial process pushed some members of the Jamaat towards violence. It culminated in an armed uprising by several hundred against state agencies in Nalchik in October 2005 when over 100 people were killed. Flimsy profiling of suspected extremists and compilation of so-called Wahhabi lists occurs across the North Caucasus. To the east, the situation has in recent years deteriorated to the point where suspects are detained even if they have no obvious commitment to Islam. They are typically never heard of again. The Russian Human Rights Foundation Memorial estimates 3,000 such disappearances in Chechnya. In one case successfully prosecuted in 2007, three Chechen policemen wishing to fast-track their careers by boosting the rate of terminating insurgents advertised prestigious police jobs. During interviews, applicants were dressed in camouflage clothing, told to run, and then shot dead. In southern Dagestan in 2010, I interviewed a market trader adhering to Salafism, which he understood simply as the normal kind of Islam that there is in the normal civilized world. He described preemptive strikes by the law enforcement agencies similar to those in Chechnya. If you're Salafi, then you're extremist, a potential terrorist. They say it's just a question of time, that if not today, then tomorrow you'll take up arms and kill. So we're killing you in advance. One policeman told me, why wait until you go into the forest and kill me from there? Fear of preemptive action by the law enforcement agencies is now encouraging teenage Muslims to go into the forest or join the insurgency in advance, as Dagestan's recently created Commission for the Adaptation of Former Militants has been hearing. The militant core of the North Caucasus insurgency is certainly inspired by hardline Islamist ideology emanating from outside the region. Having become the Caucasus Emirate's key ideologist, Anzor Astemirov argued that support for its armed jihad is obligatory, citing fatwas by Saudi and Syria-based sheikhs. Yet it should not be assumed, as North Caucasus government officials often do, that all who studied in the Middle East returned with violent views. One imam I interviewed recently in the Republic of Adigea, in the west of the North Caucasus, studied for years in a Saudi-run university in the United Arab Emirates, and also Syria. Asked about Chechnya, however, he replied, I think it was a huge mistake that our Muslims allowed themselves to get involved in that conflict, because those military actions are used by some for their own purposes. Their first aim is to weaken Islam, to show that this is the essence of Islamic ideology, war, blood, explosions, violence. People everywhere are afraid and don't perceive Islam normally now. 
Those labelled extremists due to their worship practices may also reject violence on theological grounds. Some Salafis in Dagestan argue that the territory of the North Caucasus does not form part of Dar al-Khab, where infidels must be fought, but Dar al-Sulh, where Muslims and infidels are to agree upon peaceful coexistence. Nor should it be assumed from insurgent rhetoric that Islamist ideology is the principal factor driving Muslims into the forest. Residents of Dagestan do not believe so. Polled on possible factors by a local newspaper in 2010, nearly 60% cited corruption and the consequent impossibility of earning a living, 25% arbitrary punishment by the law enforcement agencies, and only 10% factors linked to Islamist conviction. In fact, if there is a bright spot, it is that hardline Islamist ideology has very limited popular appeal in the North Caucasus. The Kabardino-Balkaria Jamaat was plausibly estimated to have 3,000 members, renowned for iron internal discipline and obedience to their leaders. Yet only a couple of hundred took part in the October 2005 Nalchik uprising, as those leaders later complained bitterly on insurgent websites. Local sociologists polling religious attitudes in Dagestan in recent years have found that over 80% reject the idea that Sharia should replace the laws of the secular state. They include devout Muslims. As another imam in Adigeir explained to me, in a village there might be a thousand people, of those five pray. If they come to power tomorrow, they'll say all women have to wear headscarves, all men have to wear beards, and vodka is banned. What will they do? Those 995 will start an uprising and overthrow them. And so the caliphate is a utopia. The problem is not in the government, the problem is in the people. Thank you very much. Now we'll have Sufyan Jamukhov on the Circassians, Nationalism and Islam. Thank you. The topic of Circassians and uh, Kabardino-Balkaria and uh, more uh, wider, the West North Caucasus were already introduced and uh, uh, I will talk about uh, the uh, difference between nationalism in Islam, uh, uh, nationalistic and Islamic uh, trends among uh, the Circassians and uh, more generally in the uh, western part of the North Caucasus, and the differences between uh, uh, political Islam in uh, uh, East North Caucasus and in West, West North, Ca North Caucasus. Uh, nationalism was always stronger uh, in uh, uh, West Caucasus and among Circassians than Islam. Historically, Islam came rather uh, late uh, to the Circassians, uh, was less developed uh, through the centuries, and uh, Circassians were followers of Hanafi Islamic school with milder regulations than Shafi'i uh, Islamic school, uh, which uh, is followed uh, in Dagestan and Chechnya and more generally in Eastern Caucasus. Characteristic, character, characteristically, during the Russian-Caucasian War in 19th century, the last Circassian state, which uh, existed in 1861-64, uh, under the leadership of Kiranduk uh, Berzek, uh, was a nationalistic state. Uh, it has a nationalistic uh, uh, origins, while the Imamat, 
in the Eastern Caucasus uh, under the leadership of Imam Shamil uh, had uh, Islamic ideological basis. Uh, nowadays, Circassian nationalism uh, does not integrate into Islam. Uh, Geraldine uh, very uh, well explained uh, uh, the transformation of the nationalism into uh, Islamism in the eastern part of the uh, Caucasus. Uh, and uh, I uh, would address uh, the question how the development of nationalism and Islam among the Circassians is different uh, from that in eastern North Caucasus and uh, other, uh, even other Islamic regions uh, of Russia and what caused those differences. After the break of the Soviet state, uh, nationalistic ideology prevailed among uh, the North Caucasian uh, ethnicities. In 1990s, uh, ideological processes in the North Caucasus had similar uh, patterns. Uh, nationalism of uh, 90s culminated in uh, the separatist movement in Chechnya and in the participation of Circassian nationalist movement uh, in the uh, Georgian-Abkhaz war. The development of Islam in 2000s took different patterns in western and eastern parts of the North Caucasus. The nationalism in East Caucasus became weaker and has transformed into the religious movement. Uh, many uh, leaders uh, and participants of uh, uh, Islamic movement in uh, the eastern part of the North Caucasus uh, have uh, originated from the separatist movement, nationalistic movement uh, during 90s. In the Circassian re regions, both nationalist and religious movements uh, developed separately without uh, integration. And the second wave of uh, Chechen insurgents, which uh, Geraldine mentioned, is related to the first wave of Circassian insurgents. The differences between the Circassians and Chechen volunteers participated in the Georgian-Abkhaz war in 1992 is characteristic for the case. Most of Chechen volunteers who went to Abkhazia under the uh, nationalistic ideology turned uh, later into Islamic insurgents, including their leader Shamil Basayev. However, the Circassian volunteers never changed their ideology and never became Islamic insurgent, including their leader Sultan Sasnaliyev and uh, Musa Shanibov. The structure of uh, Caucasus Emirate presents another example of different ideological patterns in the North Caucasus. Many Emirate leaders from the East Caucasus have uh, nationalistic background, including uh, Toku Umarov, one of the founders of the Emirate. However, none of the Circassian uh, leaders uh, have a nationalistic background, uh, including uh, Anzur Astemirov, uh, who was one of the founders of the Emirate. We can uh, identify four more major uh, ideological trends uh, 
in the North Caucasus. A nationalist, a trend, as well as a traditional, a moderate, and radical form of Islam. By radical Islam, uh, I mean an ideology that suggests that the law and spirit of Islam should reach all spheres of society. This ideology is rather strict and judgmental of those who do not develop themselves uh, according to the five pillars of Islam. The followers of radical Islam are not uh, inherently extremists, but within this ideology, they might develop what we call an insurgency ideology. I interviewed uh, uh, several uh, uh, people who uh, followed this uh, ideology, uh, radical Islam, uh, and uh, once I had a focus group interview and, uh, of women uh, who were followers of radical Islam, and uh, uh, a question that I asked them was, uh, whom would you ma rather marry, a Circassian, Christian or non-Circassian Muslim? And they answered that they would rather marry non-Circassian Muslim than Circassian Christian. And uh, it is very characteristic uh, for the uh, view of radical uh, Islamists uh, among Circassians. Such an, uh, such, the insurgent ideology is uh, characterized by terrorism and uh, uh, extremist uh, behavior uh, such as the perception of uh, security forces as direct enemy, hostility toward Muslim leaders and scholars with different beliefs, and regarding them as hypocrites promoting anti-Islamic ideology, and the exclusion of those who are not strict Muslims. The religious leaders of moderate Islam usually oppose radical Islam and regard its followers as heretics. They openly support and are supported by state authorities. The uh, authorities indeed regard the development of uh, moderate Islam as one of measures against Islamic radicalization and insurgent uh, recruitment. As religious leaders publicly declare their support for moderate Islam and imams, the insurgents react by labeling those moderate uh, leaders as treacherous imams. Moderate Islam expands its number of followers to include all who identify themselves as Muslims whether or not they practice the five pillars of Islam. For example, in an interview, Anas Pshikhachev, the former leader of the moderate Islamists in Kabardino-Balkaria, stated, quote, everyone who acknowledges Allah, Quran, and Sunnah, and the, pro and the Prophet is a Muslim, even if he does not observe any practices. By this interpretation, Islam is not a question of active faith, but passive acknowledgement. The clash between insurgency ideology and moderate Islam culminated in December 2010 with the murder of Anas Pshikhachev. Another trend is represented by local scholars and intellectuals who understand traditional Islam, who promote traditional Islam, understand it as an ideology of local traditions mixed with Islam, 
It's not traditional Islam as it is widely uh, acknowledged as classical Islam, but traditional means mix of Circassian traditions with Islam. This ideology takes its historical roots in uh, the strong moral codex of Circassian uh, Habza, which was established in the 18th century and based on philosophy of local intellectual Jabagi Kazanoka, who was kind of a Circassian Confucius. The first debates between radical and traditional Muslims took place at the beginning of 19th century. The prominent Circassian scholar Sultan Khan Giri wrote in 1835 in his notes about Circassia that Islamic laws were supposed to give preferences to local customs, but then that the new generation of religious leaders of that time, quote, often performs judgment by Islamic laws thus breaking the old customs. Initially, the leaders of Caucasus Emirate uh, did not share a common opinion toward traditional Islam. Some advocated radical methods, including violence against civilians, which proved effective in the past. Uh, And those were more radical uh, Islamists with uh, nationalistic uh, background like Doku Umarov, while others supported a policy of targeted assassination against adherents of moderate Islam. The fourth ideological trend uh, in the North Caucasus is a nationalistic ideology. While in Chechnya and uh, Dagestan, many insurgency leaders uh, involved from, evolved from nationalism into radical Islam. In Kabardino-Balkaria, as I said, these two trends almost never interact and even confront each other. None of the Kabardian nationalist leaders of 1990s ever tried to present themselves as devoted Muslims. On a larger scale, this can also be demonstrated by the fact that none of the thousands of Kabardian volunteers who participated in the Georgian Abkhaz war were ever identified as supporting religious uh, extremism or joining religious movement in Kabardino-Balkaria. At the same time, these Circassian volunteers managed to form a political movement by establishing a non-government organization, the Union of Abkhaz Volunteers in Nalchik, with rather nationalistic program. The gap between radical Islam and uh, nationalist ideology widened after the establishment of uh, the Caucasus Emirate. The the question is why the Circassian nationalism developed separately from Islam ideology. Uh, I think there are two... uh, uh, it caused, uh, uh, there are two points uh, why uh, the nationalism doesn't uh, uh, interfe- uh, uh, interact with uh, uh, Islamic radical Islamism. Uh, the ideological 
processes. The first uh, cause is uh, that the ideological processes in the Circassian republics of Kabardina, Balkaria, Degei, and Karachava, Cherkessia are influenced by external factors, mainly by the existence of five million Circassian diaspora. Uh, and uh, we uh, can see that uh, the nationalistic ideas uh, they uh, develop uh, while in uh, the eastern North Caucasus uh, the nationalism already uh, almost uh, uh, in past uh, in uh, the west uh, North Caucasus among Circassians uh, we can see the second wave of uh, the nationalism and uh, uh, we, can, uh, we can see that the Circassian nationalistic movement has uh, a new generation of activists since 2005, after, and uh, especially uh, after Russia won the right to hold uh, the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, which uh, the Circassian nationalists uh, see as uh, the last capital of independent Circassia in the uh, uh, 19th century. Uh, and uh, we can uh, understand the, the importance of uh, uh, diaspora uh, in the discourse of uh, uh, developing nationalistic ideology uh, in the Caucasus by another example. Uh, when Doko Umarov, who was uh, so-called president of Re uh, Republic of Ichkeria, decided uh, to transfer his uh, ideology completely to Islamic uh, values, he was opposed by uh, Chechen uh, diaspora and uh, by uh, uh, Zakayev uh, personally, who claimed that uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Chechen insurgents uh, shouldn't uh, turn to Islamic uh, ideology. The second uh, uh, point why uh, the nationalism uh, is so strong among Circassians is uh, because uh, actually Circassian identity uh, can never be based on uh, just on religion uh, and, for example, on Islam because Circassians are divided religiously. Part of Circassians are Muslim, the, the majority, and the minority uh, is Christian. And uh, uh, the Circassian uh, identity uh, can be based only on, uh, on nationalism. Uh, and uh, the, uh, we can see uh, the Circassians... Uh, uh, in Kabardino-Balkaria, Karachay-Cherkessia, and Adigeya, we should uh, look at them not from the uh, patterns of Dagestan, Chechnya, and Ingushetia, when, where we have uh, uh, t totally uh, Muslim uh, population, but uh, from the patterns of uh, Ossetians uh, from uh, Abkhazia and Adjaria, where we have the uh, uh, ethnicities divided between Christians and uh, Muslims. So uh, we can say that uh, the uh, Islamic and nationalistic trends in 
uh, western uh, part of the Caucasus, including not only Circassians, but Ossetians, Abkhazians, and uh, Adjars in uh, Georgia, uh, is very different and uh, developing uh, in different pattern than in uh, East uh, Caucasus. Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> now we'll turn to Sergei Markadonov. Um, uh, on the Russian political response, ask the question of whether Moscow has a policy. Not only. Thanks, Corey. Uh, first of all, let me express my gratitude to Carnegie Endowment and personally to my friend Tom DeWall for invitation and for having me here as a speaker. Now I am not in the terrific conditions because I am a sixth contributor today. And honestly speaking, I am feeling myself like sixth husband of Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I try to be uh, original. Uh, after the uh, USSR collapse, the North Caucasus uh, has survived uh, the consequent change of two social political discourses, ethnic nationalism and uh, political Islam. Speaking about ethnic nationalism, it's necessary to take into account multi-phase character of these phenomenon. It's, it could not be restricted only by analysis of Chechen separatism and uh, these practice. It's impossible to uh, oppose in very simplistic way pro-Russian or anti-Russian character of ethnic nationalisms, not nationalism in the Caucasus. For example, ethnic nationalists in North Ossetia uh, perceive themselves like advent post of Russia fighting against Ingush in the suburban district. Dagestani nationalists defended Russian statehood in 1999, the nationalists, ethnic nationalists, uh, in the period of raid of Shamil Basayev and Hatab. And uh, in the case of uh, political Islam, it's necessary to come back to the term itself and uh, to make uh, some minor clarification. I think uh, speaking about political Islam in the North Caucasus today, we need to speak about also multi-faced character of it. It, it could not be restricted only by Caucasus Emirate and Doko Umarov. Many people like uh, Ismail Berdi, for example, or Bijiv could be seen very frequently with Vladimir Putin on the Russian TV programs. Do they speak on the language of political Islam? Yes, absolutely. Said Afendi Cherkesky, for example, very popular, prominent leader of uh, Sufi Muslims in Dagestan. Does he speak on the language of political Islam? Does he pretend to increase Islamic way of life on the ground? Yes, absolutely. But he uh, doesn't relate to Salafi Muslims or to the Caucasus Emirate. Uh, we could uh, speak about some kinds of political Islam and the conditions of the North Caucasus. First, radicals identified with the Caucasus Emirate, Sufi Muslims in Dagestan. We could speak about separate version of political Islam and the conditions of Chechnya. It's based on Sufi tradition, but it's impossible to ignore in this context personal role of Ramzan Kadyrov who does not relate to Salafi Muslims who blame Doku Umarov as his personal enemy, but at the same time he provides real Islamization, not in theoretical frame, but on the ground. It's also political Islam. 
This is why we could speak about pro-state or anti-state political Islam. Its more important thing is not a target of political Islam. Again, is whom is it oriented? Again, is state or against another groups of Muslims? It's necessary to register discourse of the problem. In the early 90s, protest movements, nationalist or territorial conflicts were perceived through the nationalist discourse. For example, 30% of assets uh, are Muslims, but it was not a real obstacle for them to support Christian brothers against Ingus. Those conflicts were not perceived through the framework of sacred wars, wars and conflicts against infidelities and, and so on and so on. Nowadays, symbols of Islam, perceptions, Sometimes they are not relating to real religious practice, but perceptions, discourses, stereotypes are in the table, are in the active discussion. What's the role of uh, Russian policy in the shift from ethnic nationalism to political Islam, which includes, uh, one, I'm repeating once again, not only radical form. Uh, there is a very popular model explaining this shift. It's especially popular in uh, European Union countries, a little bit later in the United States, but anyway, it explains this shift through the Russian policy, aggressive, suppressive, as you like, to Chechnya. Russian state suppressed the statehood of, de facto statehood of Chechen Republic, and as a result, we have received radical form of Islam. Is it truth or is it false? Half-half. It's not complete truth, it's not complete false. Because uh, it's necessary to understand that apart Chechnya, there were different forms of political Islam and radical Islam which were not connected with the case of Chechnya. Example of Dagestan of early 90s. This practice was not connected with uh, the Chechen statehood experience or case of uh, Malakarachaevsky Rayon, Uchkiken, which is so close to the Caucasian mineral waters to Kislovodsk, 15 minutes by drive. Another case of uh, Salafization, of Habization of this region, another attempt. They were not connected with Chechnya. This is why, speaking about the role of the Russian policy, it's necessary to really understand. It's one of the factors, but it's not the only factor. What, what's about other factors? Education. In the period of Soviet Union, ethnicity was promoted, but religiosity was suppressed. Last mention of a uh, fight, political fight against Islam, was uh, related to 1986. Plenum of Central Committee of CPSU, 1986. This is why no real prophets, no knowledgeable people, no educated people who could interpret norms of Quran, five pillars of Islam, and so on and so on. But at the same time, many people who were brought up in the National Academies of Science, uh, in the condition of uh, nationalizations of communism, which were very strong, especially in the period of Brezhnev. This is why no people who could really raise the problem of Islam. And this is why in the early 90s, Islam was used instrumentally in the political discourse. One very funny story. Maybe you are a little bit tired today. In 1991, in, uh, for, for one rallies in Grozny, Jahar Dudai was asked a question about role of Islam in the history of Chechens. 
Jahar agreed, yes, this role was great, and we need to make namaz three times a day. He was interrupted five times a day, Jahar, okay, but it would be necessary six times a day. It was typical that time. Now we have another generation educated in different manner, comparing with Soviet time in the early 90s. More knowledgeable guys, uh, educated in the Gulf countries, in Egypt, uh, abroad. They uh, maybe uh, incorporated uh, deeper and better in the Islamic world, in the wider sense of this term. They could uh, speak on the subject, understanding the subject, not in favor to enlarge popularity of uh, disappearing Communist Party and, and so on, so on, so on. Another cultural situation. It's also important. As for the Russian policy, uh, I think uh, that uh, it's a problem to speak about Russian approach because we have no articulated, verbalized doctrine of North Caucasus policy. Just today, after 20 years of the, from the USSR dissolution, I think that Russian policy to uh, the North Caucasus political Islam could be split into different mosaic pictures or different puzzles. Let me name some of them. The first one, all, Russians, all Russian level of domestic policy. Don't forget that uh, abolition of direct elections of governors in 2004 was explained through instability in the Caucasus. This is why the whole country became hostage of the Caucasus trans dynamics. Even Far East region of Russia or Siberia, many people in those regions don't know about dynamics in the Caucasus. Maybe in Washington, D.C., expert community knows the situation better than expert community in Krasnoyarsk. I contributed many times in Siberian cities and some, sometimes were interrupted about what do you speak? It's not interesting for us. But my answer was very simple. Sorry, but uh, drafting uh, to the Russian army is not prohibited. Maybe this question would be very, very interesting for you personally. Not from the abstract point of view, but for your family personal point of view. But it's another problem. Uh, anyway, all Russian uh, approach. Approach to the region, to the Caucasus. I could, uh, it, it's not verbalized anyway, but I could characterize it like outsourcing sovereignty. It's delegation of uh, prerogatives of the federal power on the ground. The best case is Chechnya, but it's not the only case. We could speak about privatization of power on the local and regional level. And attention of the federal center is restricted only by two formats, security format and another format proposed by Alexander Hlaponin. It's called like so-called alleged economic. It means financial blowing of the region without any other context like transparency, like level and quality of redistribution of money and so on. This is why it raise, raises many speculations. You know the slogan, stop feeding the Caucasus. First of all, it's very literal, because the first recipient in Russia is Yakutia. Stop feeding Yakutia, maybe. Maybe. 
but it's the way to uh, splitting of the country. It's uh, the way uh, which Soviet Union survived. It's not good uh, for me and for another countries uh, of the globe also. Uh, by the way, uh, the sum of the whole transfers allocated for all Caucasian republics plus Kalmykia is less than sum allocated for road recovery for Moscow for 2012. This is why it's necessary to know details. As they put it in Russia, um, the third uh, uh, approach of Russia, religious religious policy as whole and uh, Islamic direction of uh, this policy. We could speak about uh, so-called traditional relig religions in Russia and amendments to the law of freedom of uh, conscience in, uh, adopted in 1996. The discourse of traditional religious groups is very popular in the Caucasus and we could see frequently when muftis or heads of spiritual boards of Muslims uh, demonstrate their readiness to cooperate with uh, the Russian Orthodox Church, in the case of Dagestan, in the case of Karachay case, as well as uh, Metropolit Fiafan, representing the Russian Orthodox Church in the North Caucasus, is, is, is a fan of this cooperation. This is why we could see and could speak about one more discourse, traditional religious groups, in the conditions of the Caucasus uniting Sufi Muslims, spiritual borrowers of Muslims, and Russian Orthodox Church, and some others, all others group. The next uh, uh, Russian policy uh, approach is anti-terrorism and anti-extremism. Uh, we uh, could speak about uh, maybe some ideological problems for uh, Russian power, because uh, leaders of Russia blame terrorists like bandits. In my mind, it's deadlock, because in this situation, uh, we could not understand real motivation of those terrorist bandits. Okay, but they are not robbers, they are not uh, maybe gangsters. What's about political motivation? Why uh, this phenomenon is uh, supported? Not by majority of people, by critical minority of the people, but anyway. Uh, this is why we could speak about different uh, puzzles or segments of the policy and absence of uh, strategy of the uh, Caucasus uh, region development. Anyway, we need to go away from uh, simplistic pictures. Tensions in the North Caucasus today are not tensions uh, in the format between federal center and Caucasus as a region. There are many different lines in the Caucasus. Officials who are blamed by radical Muslims or moderate Muslims on the ground are not only ethnic Russians. They could be neighbors of this or that, okay, leader of uh, this or that political Islam group. Uh, this is why, summarizing, uh, I think that political Islam, uh, first and foremost, is a problem of uh, formation or shaping of new post-Soviet identity of Russia. Russia is not the USSR. Maybe it's truism, but it's necessary to repeat these thesis, especially in the West, every day. It's another identity. 
This identity is not shaped completely till nowadays. All countries of the post-Soviet space are in their course of shaping. Azerbaijan, Georgia with problems of Abkhazia, South Ossetia, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Russia, and so on. Russian uh, identity is not completely shaped. Political Islam is one challenges in this course. Like ethnic nationalism mentioned by my friend and colleague Sufyan, uh, some other uh, problems of regional particularism, especially in the cases of Stavropolia or Krasnodar area and so on. But first and foremost, it's a problem of identity. And uh, this problem is, is uh, predetermined by absence of integration policy supported by the Russian state. It's a problem. Because I'm not so stupid, naive guy who really believed that we could overcome uh, current hostility and violence very frequently. No. But I see the way uh, of exit from this deadlock in the formation of integration strategy for the North Caucasus. A Russian case is not unique. All uh, powerful contemporary states are multi-ethnic. Your states, United States of America, also multi-ethnic. And in the 60s, problem of African-Americans was politicized. Now it's discussed. It's very hot, topical. But it's discussed only like social problem, not political. I see uh, we could have this prospect for the North Caucasus if we would be so sophisticated in the integration policy building, national building, building like United States after 1960s. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sergey. Thank you to all the panelists. I'm sure there are lots of comments and questions from the audience, so we'll go right to you. Um, and just please briefly identify yourself when I call on you. Uh, in the back. Uh, Steve Winters, local researcher. I'd like to direct this to uh, Sergey Markadatov. Uh, could you comment on Alexander Dugan's uh, ideas for dealing with the uh, Islamic uh, areas of, for the Russian Federation, or whether they're realistic, uh, given the, what's actually happening? We'll collect a few questions. Thank you. Uh, yes, I'm Alexey Pimnov, uh, Russian Service of the Voice of America. I have two questions. Uh, the first one is for uh, Mr. Chumukhov. And uh, it's very very simple. Um, I was just wondering if you find the idea of the of a uh, new Caucasian Republic in the North Caucasus realistic or not. I know that this is one of the slogans, one of the goals of the Caucasian national movement. I would just uh, I just wanted to know your opinion on this. And my second question is a very brief comment uh, refers to uh, Sergey Markadonov's presentation. Uh, Sergey, you mentioned uh, the abolition of the elections of governors in the Russian Federation, and you mentioned uh, the situation in the Caucasus as, as, uh, as an explanation for this move. But I just wanted to emphasize that that was probably just an explanation, not necessarily uh, the real reason why the move was made. In this context, I, uh, I have this question. Do you really think that Russia, uh, the current government of the Russian Federation does not have uh, any Caucasian policy or, or doctrine? Because sometimes, uh, um, it, I mean, I have an impression that 
there is such a doctrine, which is, uh, it was, for example, expressed by Mr. Soltegov that uh, all the national autonomies of the Russian Federation should voluntarily refuse their status, um, and that Russia practically has to become a rather unitarian state with some cultural diversity. Thanks. One more question, uh, Wendy. Thanks, Wendy Silverman, Department of State. Um, it's interesting that a speaker on both panels noted the Islamization being fostered by the head of Chechnya, Kadyrov, and so it would be great if um, anyone interested, uh, and in particular the person who mentioned this, could speak to what is the underlying factor, what, what is driving this. Thank you. Um, you had the first questions. Thank you. Let me start briefly on Alexander Dugin. Uh, I am not, honestly speaking, I am not considering Dugin as an expert. He is a very talented, clever provocator. Yes, but, but no, not expert. He uh, doesn't make any field uh, investigations, for example. He uh, didn't uh, investigate uh, sociological polls and so on. He uh, creates from time to time very interesting ideas, like uh, creation of pro-Russian forces in Georgia in the face of Natalashvili or uh, Eurasian Union between Turkey and Russia, or uh, recognition of Abkhazia by Turkey, China, and Syria. First and foremost, it's necessary to uh, study details uh, of those mentioned countries. This is why it's not so serious to understand. Uh, speaking about a uh, Muslim problem for Russia, uh, I strongly recommend you to uh, read the book of my friend Alexei Maloshenko, Islam for Russia because we are faced with great difficulties in identification. Whom uh, we are going to consider are the Muslims? Because for Russian census, there are no special point of identification, your religious background. This is why we automatically count all Tatars, all Bashkirs, all Chuvars, maybe not all, but most of them, like Muslims, but <laughs> it's very, very uh, simplistic picture. Uh, uh, as for elections of 2004 and Russian strategy, I'm repeating once again, Sultiga for some other recommendations are not part of the for formulated position of the Russian Federation. I'm not considering also some comments of Vladimir Putin or some other politicians like conception, like uh, formulated strategy. It's opinion. On one point, or for another point, uh, many articles of, of Vladimir Putin, by the way, are very, very contradictory. His uh, first article on the concentration of Russia uh, was devoted to geopolitical uh, priorities and uh, foreign policy priorities of Russian Federation, and uh, one of key priority was Eurasian Union with visa-free regimes and, and so on. The second article on the national question of Russia recommended to strengthen visa restrictions for our allies from Eurasian Union. What Putin is uh, real Putin? It, it's a question. 
It's not a state-formulated conception. It's electoral idea, which could contradict uh, to each other. Um, as for a uh, unitarian character of Russian Federation, no illusions. I'm not sure that uh, Russia in the early 90s was uh, the best pattern of federalism. Maybe it was kind of feudal federalism, yes, but it was not federalism. Because principles of vertical were realized in the case of Tatarstan, Bashkartostan, no democracy. It was vertical without center. Horizontal, vertical, verticals. When, for example, a governor of Krasnodar region, Kondratienko, could prohibit the export of uh, corns or agricultural products in neighbor regions, Rostov-on-Don or Stavropol. Is it federalism? It looks like medieval Germany. Sorry, it's not federalism. This is why we could speak about transformation of different modes of administrative market in the post-Soviet Russia. The first administrative market system was decentralized in the period of Yeltsin. In the period of Putin, we could speak about centralization of administrative rents and administrative markets. Before 2004, the cost of average campaign for governor's election in Stavropol was estimated as 10 billion rubles. After 2004, the donation uh, for the competition uh, of governors uh, was estimated as 50 billion rubles, five times more. I, I, I uh, believe, I know what I say now. Is it strengthening of uh, statehood? I'm not sure. That this really strengthening of uh, Russian statehood. It's, it's, it's centralization of administrative rents. This is why in the first case of 90s or in the second case of Putin, we could not speak about federalism. Declaration made in the Russian constitution is, is no matter. In constitution of 1936, uh, in the Stalin period, many freedoms were also declared. And many people, even in the West, uh, characterize this constitution like democratic or one of the most democratic constitutions in the world. But in reality, you know about Stalin's period uh, in 1936 or 1937. Well, <clears throat> thank you very much for the simple question, but uh, uh, my answer uh, has to be rather complicated uh, because... Uh, uh, the issue of uh, uniting uh, Circassian regions into one Circassian Republic is a very complicated issue. But you simplified the question for me, uh, asking, is it possible or is it not possible? So I will say that it is possible, and uh, I, I will give you some reasons for that. Well, uh, the question is, uh, we have three Circassian, so, so, three republics uh, where Circassians uh, uh, represent uh, so-called titular nations. The first one uh, you can see on the uh, to, to the left uh, uh, of the map, Adigeya. The second one is Karachaeva Cherkessia, the yellow, and the third one is uh, uh, the green Kabardina Balkaria. Uh, so uh, uh, this question. Uh, is usually uh, th the problem of uh, unifying of Circassian republics is usually presented as a nationalistic uh, uh, trend uh, that nationalists uh, uh, 
uh, offer to unify the three republics. But uh, uh, in reality, it, has, uh, it is more complicated. It is a demand by the elites of Circassian uh, republics. Uh, long before the question of uh, unification of Circassian republics became nationalistic uh, uh, problem, uh, it was raised by the leaders of three republics. Uh, and, uh, in, and it was raised in 1990s. And in 1997, there was established interparliament uh, inter uh, council uh, between Kabardino-Balkaria, Karachayeva-Cherkessia, and Dadigeya. And uh, the, uh, this uh, council had sessions every month. Uh, and uh, three uh, government newspapers of Kabardino-Balkaria, Adige and Karachay-Cherkessia, quarterly had uh, one uh, issue uh, which ran together, uh, uh, not only in Russian but in Circassian language as well. And it was believed, of course, all these uh, uh, activities, political activities were uh, underground uh, or under the carpet, uh, how... Uh, uh, Churchill would say uh, that uh, the former president of Kabardino-Balkaria, Valery Kokov, could become, could, could unite all three republics and become a president of the Kassian Republic. But with uh, uh, the new, uh, 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 with Putin as new leader of uh, Russia, uh, this uh, trend was dropped. Uh, it, it is not mentioned uh, now that uh, the three republics can unite, instead of that, uh, uh, there are uh, uh, activities to uh, emerge at the gay into uh, Krasnodar Krai, that is to separate uh, the three republics. And uh, <clears throat> these three nations, uh, th these three parts of Circassians were divided uh, during Stalin's time and not only divided, but called different names. For example, in this map, you can see uh, the uh, Adige uh, as one uh, ethnicity and Kabardians as another ethnicity, uh, while uh, Kabardians and Cherkesses uh, are not uh, uh, represented at all, uh, while these three uh, sub-ethnicities call themselves Circassians. And another point is that uh, unification of Circassian uh, regions into one republic isn't the only uh, ongoing uh, uh, process of uh, demand of unification. We have the same, uh, from time to time, Chechnya and Ingushetia raise question of reunifying. Uh, and uh, North Ossetia and South Ossetia they don't say it openly, of course, but because they have different status, North Ossetia and South Ossetia. But there are many talks in Russia going about unification of South Ossetia and North Ossetia. Uh, and uh, we remember that uh, 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 Shamil Basayev had idea of unifying uh, Chechnya and Dagestan. And we have another project of unification uh, called uh, Caucasus Emirat. So these ideas of unification, they are not unique. But uh, the, the problem of unification of Circassian uh, regions into one Circassian Republic is legitimate uh, in uh, the sense that uh, those who promote it try to uh, 
put it into Putin's uh, policy of largening, uh, uniting the uh, uh, Russian regions, so legalizing it. So maybe among all the uh, processes going in uh, the North Caucasus, this is uh, the most, uh, if you can say, uh, leg legitimate uh, course. Thank you. Geraldine, did you have anything to add on these questions, and particularly the question on Kadyrov? On Kadyrov, I could maybe um, comment that it's, it seems to me that it becomes that whole situation becomes clearer if you remember that um, there isn't this clear dichotomy between foreign um, hostile Islam that seeks to uh, Shariatization in the North Caucasus and a, a local form that doesn't wish that, um, basically, the, particularly in Chechnya and Dagestan, um, there are Sufi leaders who also would like Shariatization of their societies. Um, and I think, um, I think I'm right in saying that Kadyrov, um, the, the Mufti in Chechnya, is his, who is his appointee, was also the head of the Sharia court in uh, independent Chechnya Ichkeria, um, and that um, Kadyrov's father, Ahmad, when he was Mufti, um, so this is before he came to an accommodation with the Russians, he um, declared jihad on Russia and called for Chechen, every Chechen to kill 150 Russians. So there's basically, you, you can't simply draw a line and say, well, that just because they've come to an accommodation with the Russians, they don't desire um, Islamization in their own societies. Another round of questions? Can I leave Radio Free Europe? Uh, I have two questions. First, to um, Sergei Makedonov. What do you, you know, the elections coming in Russia, presidential elections, how important is Islamic? factor uh, in these elections. Maybe it's not important, but you, if you can address it in any way. And what is the secret of Putin's popularity in Dagestan and Chechnya? He always gets over 100 uh, <laughs> percent. Despite the fact that, you know, in many probably in that region wouldn't agree with his policies. Uh, and also, do you think the projects like Anji, Mahachkala, this football team, which is a um, is it <laughs> no, it's not. But do, do you think it can change the tone in in this, you know, in that region, where people see kind of one success story, when suddenly one Dagestani team appears in Champions League, uh, uh, and I I, I I I don't exclude that possibility. Maybe in two years, so do you think that can maybe you know the the region needs a success stories? That kind of success stories can change the tone in the region. Recently, our correspondent came back from Derbent. Uh, uh, and he said their observation was about this unemployment, um, corruption, and huge disconnect between the population and the um, ruling elite. That's a question for you. And the question for, for two of you, uh, since you visited the region, <laughs> uh, you said that in, in uh, Syracuse, um, uh, identity, more, it's more about nationalism than, than Islam. Um, how does it transform us in reality? Do you have schools in your own language, universities, newspapers? Um, uh, because that would be the best examples of um, kind of identity building in that country. For example, in Tatarstan, there is a huge movement now to ban a Tatar language in Tatar schools, uh, which is 
quite a controversial. Do you have the similar uh, kind of examples from that region? Uh, thank you. Uh, Ivona Kaliszewska, Warsaw University and GW Visiting. Uh, I wanted to go back to Islamic State, which was mentioned by Alexei Maloshenko and Trollin Fagan. Uh, well, what occurred to me during like research in, in Dagestan, Chechnya, especially Dagestan and Ingushetia, is that uh, because we say a lot of people are supporting uh, Islamic State, a lot of people want to live in Islamic State, or not so many people actually want to want want that. But what occurred to me from my research was that what they actually understand under Islamic State is not a caliphate, but it's a state which is just, which is not so much as you just mentioned, disconnected like society and the elite, which is not corrupt first of all. So. Actually, the state they want to live in is not so much different as the state, I don't know, people protesting in Moscow uh, would, would like to live in. Of course, there is this religious factor, but we maybe we should not necessarily uh, consider this religious factor as, as some obstac obstacle towards integration and maybe understanding better what people mean under Islamic State, what Salafi mean, mean under Islamic State, but not what they write on their websites, because what they write and what they say it right away, in, but what they really understand, this differs. These are two different things. Maybe that could help us understand uh, how to integrate them in their, into the society and how to make this process of integration quicker and faster than to make this essentialistic distinction between Islam and not Islam. Well, just this. And I just wanted to ask if you uh, agree with that, that uh, this kind of process is taking place. Thank you. There's a lot of questions in there, so uh, we'll go back to the panelists. I'll go backwards and start with Geraldine. Um, on the language, just I, it's more of a comment, I suppose, and maybe Sufian could comment. Um, I, I was recently in Adigea, and there, even in um, majority ethnic, Majority ethnic Adig areas. I was told that so you might have a school where basically everybody is Adig, but the tuition is all in Russian, and they they weren't allowed to to have um, education in Adig. And I don't know if that's something new or um, or from the Soviet period, like a, hold, a holdover. Um, and I completely agree agree with what you just said about attitudes um, in in Dagestan. This um, quite a lot of quite interesting work being done by local sociologists about um, attitudes to to um, charitization of, of Dagestani society, and um, which I read and also interviewed the sociologist. Um, and what he said was, uh, initially, if you if you ask people, um, so something like fifty percent or more will maybe slightly more, will agree that Islam should be as it was in the times of Muhammad. So you think, oh, well, you know, they're obviously kind of diehard Salafis. But the more detail is introduced in the, into the questioning, the more it becomes apparent that, in fact, they're simply desiring social justice um, and they, they don't actually have any clear theological understanding of what an Islamic society might be like. Well, if you take uh, the language uh, as an indicator of uh, development of nationalism, uh, then we can say that uh, 
it is fully developed in uh, all three republics. For example, all three republics have uh, daily newspapers in Circassian and Balkar language in Karachai. Uh, uh, in uh, the elementary schools in uh, uh, the uh, country area, not uh, city area, but in country areas, they teach uh, uh, all subjects uh, except of uh, Russian language, uh, all others, and maybe even Russian language, they teach uh, with uh, Circassian language. And then in uh, the fifth uh, uh, grade, in, uh, the, uh, in the fifth grade, they uh, uh, start teaching all the subjects in Russian. Uh, and uh, the Circassian language is a state language, uh, that is, uh, uh, in courts, you can uh, give testimonies in uh, your own language. Uh, uh, you, you can speak uh, in your own language uh, in uh, uh, state, at state institutions, etc. But uh, as uh, Geraldine said, it isn't uh, practiced very much. Uh, I uh, uh, once was at a court where uh, a witness uh, tried to speak uh, Circassian language, and uh, they denied him that right. N not denied, they said, yes, you have right, but we ask you to speak in Russian, so they persuaded him sp to speak in Russian. Uh, and, but uh, if you uh, think in the uh, terms of uh, how popular is Circassian, you can say that Russian is much, much more popular. And uh, uh, the uh, recent trend in uh, the state uh, policy uh, toward the language is that they try to undermine it. Uh, they, uh, they try to undermine the uh, teaching language uh, at schools. Uh, uh, it was in 1992 at the revival of nationalism when... Uh, the Circassian language was represented uh, in elementary school, uh, and uh, there was so-called regional component, three hours uh, a week. And they, uh, there is tr uh, now uh, programs in, uh, uh, at school and uh, at the universities uh, to abandon this so-called regional component, uh, three hours of school, and reduce uh, the Circassian language. So this is a very controversial uh, issue about uh, language, w which you can say which direction it will uh, go. Thank you. Before Sergey talks about the 110% popularity of the government in Dagestan and Chechnya, could you say something about uh, attitudes towards the central government in Putin um, in Kabardino Balkaria and other regions? Uh, well, the attitude of uh, uh, the popul population in Kabardino Balkaria, Digea, uh, and uh, maybe in uh, uh, North Ossetia as well toward the central government is different from uh, Dagestan and Chechnya. W while you have 99% uh, of uh, support, for example, to st uh, during state uh, uh, Duma elections, uh, re recent state Duma elections, in Kabardino-Balkaria and uh, South Ossetia, uh, th the votes were equal to Moscow region. So uh, it's a very different trend. Uh, but, of course, uh, uh, you can uh, say that uh, the local governments uh, totally support uh, Putin. And uh, if uh, there, are, there is, uh, 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 like, uh, 
they, uh, they will be forgeries uh, for uh, United uh, Russia and Putin. They will take place equally uh, in uh, uh, Kabardino-Balkaria, Adige, and Karachaya-Cherkessia. Uh, but you can say that uh, the trend is very different. For example, uh, in Kabardino-Balkaria, uh, there was a demonstration uh, similar to uh, the demonstration that took place in Sakharov uh, Square uh, on the same day. It wasn't uh, that big as uh, there, but uh, anyway. So uh, we have more, uh, and uh, there are several uh, groups in, uh, among the elites in Kabardino-Balkaria and Adigea and Karachay-Cherkessia, which are rivals, which, for example, you can say about uh, Chechnya, but uh, uh, there are many rivals in Dagestan, uh, of course, yeah. So uh, uh, I think that uh, the Kabardino-Balkaria, the Gea and Karachayo-Cherkessia will support Putin uh, during the elections, but not on the same scale as uh, Chechnya. Thank you. I received not one question from you, but three within one. Let me start on a current electoral campaign. I'm, I'm not overestimating the importance of religious factor. Till nowadays, Vladimir Putin has not prepared any special articles on a religious question or religious uh, development in the country. He stressed on national question. It demonstrates that for him, nationalism and the challenges of 90s, you know about Baribas Lihimi it is much more important than uh, any dangerous uh, relating religiosity. Uh, in the context of electoral campaign, we could note uh, the meeting uh, of uh, Russian leaders with representatives of so-called traditional religious confessions, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, and uh, Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church. It's, it's typical. They demonstrated their support to Vladimir Putin as a national leader, okay. Uh, I think it's not so close to real situation. Real picture is not too colored, as usual. Uh, your question about uh, Putin's support in the North Caucasus republics. It's not so simple, as it seems from the first uh, side. It could be uh, divided into uh, some points. On the one hand, I absolutely agree with the result like 99.9 percentage is far from reality because uh, there are no transparency on the ground, no real control, and, and so on and so on. But it doesn't mean that in Chechnya, Dagestan, and Gushetia we could not find many people ready to vote for Putin. You raised question which is uh, going beyond of the Caucasus. Speaking about Russia in the electoral campaign, I could propose you uh, such hypothesis. We could speak about three Russias within one. One Russia is a Russia represented by uh, big cities with population of million people or extra. They are oriented on the West. They are integrated in the West, uh, people with high, high, highly educated persons and uh, uh, traveling frequently and so on. But we have also the second Russia, budget Russia. This Russia is dependent from uh, so-called stability. 
they are oriented not on development with risks, but on stability. They are our citizens. They are not bad. They are not uh, worse quality that people living in Moscow. And they are ready to vote for Putin. I could disagree with them, but it's very a very substantial percentage. In my mind, in my personal mind, a real uh, support of Vladimir Putin in all Russian level is 39-40 percentage. But it's people really ready to vote for Putin, not due to administrative resource, not due to call from the telephone. In order to exclude any questions, I am not going personally to vote for Putin. But it's necessary to understand reality. Rallies in Moscow and St. Petersburg, it's not real uh, reaction of all people in Russia. It's impossible to restrict attitude to Putin by attitude of Nemtsov, Rishkov, and so on. It would be a great mistake, analytical mistake, not political, methodological and analytical. Many people with a pension and salary $200-250 are prefer to vote for stability. Maybe they look like stupid people. Like very naive people, yes, yes and yes, but it's reality. Democratization process in Russia would take a lot of time. It would not be direct flight from point A, authoritarianism, to point D, democracy. Transit condition would be and could be very long. Let's see on the experience of Latin America. 200 years after Spanish went away, and what? This is why in Russia it's, as they put it in my country, serious and adolga. And the third, the third uh, Russia is rural Russia. This Russia thinks not about Putin, Medvedev, or Nemtsov. It uh, thinks about whether tomorrow may be prices for corn, tomatoes, and, and so on. It's another Russia, but it's, it's uh, part of a uh, very uh, mosaic country. This is why many people in Chechnya, Compare current situation not with principles of 1776, not with principles of 1789 and French Revolution standards. They compared reality of Maskharov and realities of Kadyrov and Putin. Many of them really understand the price of it and cost of it, but they prefer stability. Maybe very primitively understood and perceived, but it's necessary to understand and not to oversimplify the situation. As for Anji, I'm not sure that uh, this case story, case story, success story would be enough. Uh, I meet here and for my travels uh, in the Caucasus with guys representing uh, the Caucasus resorts. They also told me plenty of things about mountain skin uh, slopes and, and so, so on and so on. It's good, but it's necessary to resolve uh, problems of political risks. If you are a private owner, if you are ready to be investor, would you invest money in the region with acts of terrorism, with uh, corrupted uh, officials? No. It's your choice. This is why we could have deal only with the state investment. But state investment are dangerous potentially due to corruption. It's vicious circle. This is why a success story with Anji is not enough. It's good maybe, but uh, seen on... Some schemes of Anji, they look like administrative market, uh, not only in the framework of one uh, soccer club. Uh, question of uh, Ivona, v very good question. I think uh, your uh, question could be divided into two frames, uh, anthropological and political.
Uh, I think uh, we could uh, speak about very, very different and um, maybe fragmentized uh, motivation of radicals. Yes, some of them are ready to build a Muslim state, but not only. I think many people uh, are ready to support radicals because of not great love to any radicalism values and, and so on, because they see in their everyday life failure of the state, of the state order. They could not make complaints. They could not uh, have a civilized quarrel with your neighbors. No uh, possibilities to be defended by militia, by the way. But it's necessary to have any orders. This is why they uh, began thinking and begin thinking about alternatives. But there is alternative on the ground. It's necessary also to take into account aberration of your thoughts. Many people uh, don't know uh, really what price would they pay for Islamic order. They see failed communism practice. They see failed post-Soviet practice, corruption, and, and so on. And they uh, want to live to overcome troubles existing on the ground, like corruption, like uh, primitive defense of your kids, of your family, of your home, and so on. So. This is why they uh, try to fill the vacuum existing now. I think uh, responsibility, first and foremost, uh, is in the hands of the state. Because it's necessary to build the order. This is why I'm not sharing a very primitive approach of uh, many so-called liberals, which, uh, who, who say uh, no state, uh, state like uh, maybe uh, night uh, keeper and, and so on. Okay, but not night keeper uh, or night guard must not sleep. He must or she must work. In the case of the Russian state, we have many failures. I think we could speak in many cases about situative Islamism. Maybe you know the history of uh, the Russian civil war and revolutions. Many former Russian generals, like Manrgeim, for example, like General Krasnov, created their statehood not because of uh, great love to separatism. General Krasnov was the Cossack general who was loyal to the Russian emperor and so on, but he created the Don Cossack host. Why? In order to defend, to keep the order in the conditions of the Bolshevik house created by the revolution. In the case of the Caucasus, we could uh, find the similar motivation. People try to keep the order social order in the conditions of disturbance, disorder, and, and so on. This is why uh, the anthropological answer on this question sometimes could be different from the political. May I ask to add a short observation to what you told? I agree with you, but... Uh, Not completely. No, no, no. Indeed, it's uh, some appendix. First, don't forget about uh, the elections, the last elections in Ingushetia. Officially, if I am not mistaken, 85 of the population came to vote. Uh, unofficially, and I believe in uh, this unofficial information, 
something about between 16 and 18 percent. So it means that uh, that that how well Putin or Yedina, some Russia, are supported in Ingushetia, it's a it's a secret. Then there is a problem of uh, South Ossetia, the recent events. I think you know about it. Uh, we also know that 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 there was a certain impact uh, of, of the situation in South Ossetia on the rest of Caucasus. And uh, people in Dagestan, for instance, in Kabardina Balkaria, they asked themselves if Ossetians, they dare to vote well, a little bit against official Moscow position. Why not? It's, uh, why, it's, uh, why we can do the same? So indeed, it created some problems for federal and local administrations. Next, uh, let's imagine the situation when in Dagestan there is a, a certain Islamic party. Even if this Islamic party is loyal to Putin, how many votes this party could get during the last elections? I think much more than Yedina Russia. And besides, there is a problem on Caucasus, uh, which is very vividly discussed. What I mean? There are two options. One option is uh, we can create, we must create uh, some Islamic space inside, in the frontiers of Russian Federation, and this idea is shared by majority. And the second option is, well, we have to, we have to create independent Islamic State and separatism and so on. So I think that in the future, if, 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 if uh, the situation doesn't change on Caucasus, indeed we'll get something similar to Islamic space inside secular state. How Putin or somebody else who may be, well, in uh, some dozen of years, will come instead of him, I think it's a one, one of the key problems for the region because, because I don't believe that the next morning we'll get, uh, we'll receive uh, a normal secular, not a state, but republic maybe, uh, in Dagestan or in Chechnya and so on. So, uh, so just I totally agree with you when you say that the situation is a very flexible and sometimes not so primitive as in Moscow they want to present it. Thank you. Question in the back. Uh, Rich Koslerich from George Mason University. Uh, one subject that hasn't come up yet in either panel has been organized crime. And I wondered if uh, this panel would care to comment on that as, as an independent phenomenon, the developments that you've, you've been describing, or is it just part of the administrative centralization or the centralization of administrative rents? Uh, and second, to pick up on Kennan's 
uh, question about Tatarstan. Uh, to the extent that you're familiar with what goes on there, how are trends there different than what you've described in the North Caucasus regarding Islam and, and nationalism? Um, just if uh, Sergei could follow up on his rather colorful phrase of outsourcing of sovereignty and how that relates to some of the um, disturbing information that Geraldine brought up about the um, roundups of uh, Muslims for, for various reasons and, you know, in some cases, obviously unjustified but uh, from a security perspective, but then the overlap with genuine security concerns, who decides those tactics? Is it outsourcing or or not? Other questions? Uh, John Iskander, Foreign Service Institute. Uh, Geraldine, one of the quotes that you had from, uh, I think it was Beriatsky, you said, uh, I don't like fighting, but we have to adjust to Sharia. Uh, and so adjusting this, you know, uh, saying I don't want to do this, but now with this sort of Islamic ideology. And so I understood you to be taking that at face value, but to what extent, given the, the discussion that, that you just had with the professor from Warsaw University also, I mean, like, to, to what extent might you reinterpret that as being a sort of a, a, a new ideological frame for doing something that is, in fact, the same, a, a similar thing, right, rather than uh, being fundamentally different uh, because of the Islamic ideology. To what extent do we over-ideologize, I guess, something that is perhaps more grounded sociologically? Mm -hmm. I don't think Sufyan's gone first yet, so. Well, about the organized crime, uh, the... Uh, fate of organized crime in the North Caucasus is very bad, if you can put it in such words, because uh, the organized crime in the North Caucasus is caught between two very strong uh, forces. One is the police in the North Caucasus became very strong because uh, uh, the police and the uh, FSB and militaries, they uh, are strengthened uh, to fight against the insurgents so th they can uh, very easily to go after uh, uh, organized uh, crime. From the other hand, uh, the insurgents, uh, just to show how they are effective, they oppose organized crime as well. And, uh, uh, for example, the, the insurgents are more organized. They are like brothers. It's like brotherhood, why organized crime is less organized. Uh, it is believed that an insurgent can give his life for his brother, while a, a criminal can't give his life for his uh, criminal brother. So because of these uh, two, uh, uh, two very strong uh, forces, uh, which both are against crime, uh, uh, the organized crime is very low, uh, actually, in the North Caucasus. Uh, for example, in the uh, uh, 1990s, uh, there was this uh, 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 there was this there were these actions underground in the republic where I'm from, in Kabardino-Balkaria, uh, which uh, are similar to what uh, 
later happened in Georgia. That is, they uh, tried, uh, there was this uh, process of extermination of uh, leaders of organized crime, and uh, uh, several leaders were just killed uh, by the government forces uh, without investigation and arrest because they uh, were believed uh, organizers or so uh, that's uh, the picture uh, with this issue. Thank you. Let me start on uh, outsourcing sovereignty. Yeah, uh, you uh, catch the contradictions between the role of Siloviki in the political processes in the Caucasus and uh, role of regional elites. Yes, uh, I'm not sure that uh, all pictures in all republics of the North Caucasus are the same. Situation in Chechnya is not the same if, even in, in Gushetia or even in Dagestan. But in the case of Chechnya, we could speak about absolutely shaped model of our source and sovereignty. Because federal center behaves uh, in this uh, situation like dog which is wagged by the tail. No uh, drafting to the Russian army, no real control on uh, political activity of Ramzan Kadyrov, uh, violations of the Russian constitution, I mean here direct appointment of local muftis and, and so on. It, many things are made uh, without the control of Moscow. In the case of Dagestan, uh, do you remember a case of Ratchenko, who was proposed by the head of taxpaying agency in Dagestan? And this appointment made by Moscow was blocked by the Dagestani elites, inter-ethnic elites, by the way. In this situation, Lizgins and Tavars cooperated together in order to block this appointment of Moscow. Is it real vertical of the power? Is it real authoritarianism? I'm not sure that is, this is authoritarianism. If we would uh, speak about the uh, Moscow policy only in the format of security, maybe, we could speak about very strong presence of Moscow in the region. But security format is not enough. As for integration, migration, education, and, and so on, many, many, many other aspects are not really controlled. This is why my criticism is devoted first and foremost not uh, against the extreme presence of the Russian state, but extreme absence of the Russian state. Russian state is uh, existing in the North Caucasus only in two formats. Siloviki and discussion about one more, two more regiments deployed in Nalchik or Nazrain or counterterrorism, or money, financial aid from the uh, Moscow side, no more. But it's outsourcing sovereignty in reality. In uh, this situation, uh, Russian uh, troops are used by local elites for defense of their business interests and uh, support of their business contacts with Moscow guys in administration and, and, and so on and so on. It's not the state interest. I'm repeating once again. As for Tatarstan and uh, uh, comparison uh, between uh, this uh, republic and uh, North Caucasus, 
Uh, I think the most important thing here is uh, the length of integration. In the case of Tatarstan and Bashkiria, we could speak about five centuries of integration. There is a tradition, there is another identity, there is a great experience of coexistence. Let the Caucasus live inside Russia five centuries more. Maybe we would speak about successful Caucasian model of coexistence between Muslims and Christians and, and so on. But more sophisticated policy is required. At least like policy existed in the imperial times and uh, maybe in the Soviet. Soviet policy could be criticized and I am some, I myself critical to uh, this policy, but it was ideologically uh, consistent. It was understandable from the level of CPSU, Central Committee, to average shepherd. In the case of current Russia, no. Articles by Vladimir Putin are brilliant, but it's not enough for integration, for elaboration of new political identity of Russians. Not Russian in the ethnic sense, but Russian in the political sense. You know about differences in the Russian language. Rossiyski, Ruski. In the English, uh, one term in, in the Russian language, two different. We need to speak about political identity. It's a very, very complicated process. It couldn't be restricted only by a special operation, this or, the, or the, there or here. Sometimes uh, special operations are required, but it's, 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 it's not enough. Okay, um, so just in response to the question about Said Buryatsky, I wonder whether it's possible to over-ideologize Said Buryatsky. Um, but I, what I was uh, saying was that I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily representative of um, the entire insurgency, but um, I, what I would say is that for, hi, for, for his, for that generation of militant leader, um, Islamist ideology is the main, is the core motivation. Whereas for their predecessors, they, they already, they were already fighting before they turned to Islam, and I think that's a, a really crucial difference. Um, and I would also just say that um, I, I'm not sure entirely what you meant by sociological basis, but um, in in his case as well, I mean, he came from. I've seen the street where he lived. He he, he came from a very ordinary Soviet background in in Siberia and so I don't I don't really see any kind of social reasoning that would that would lead someone from there to 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 take up arms and it's really a, a long process of engagement with Islam radical Islam and and studying and in, in in the Gulf region so Well, we've come to the end of our panel, so if you could please join me in thanking our panelists for a very stimulating discussion.